Get that water out of the goddamn huddle. I'll tell you when you get a water break. Welcome to the Buccaneers Observer Podcast. This is Ralph Phillips. I'm Molly Bay. Today is March 9th, 2020. 188 days until Buccaneers kick off. Boo. Hey, it's better than it was yesterday. It was 189. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we always do the countdown to the kickoffs. Uh, I think last year we did the countdown to the NFL kickoff. This year we're doing it to Bucks kickoff because this is the only kickoff we care about. The only kickoff that matters is the Buccaneers podcast. It's been a while. We've taken a little break, but we are back on track. This is an intense podcast today. We've got a little bit of Buccaneers news where we're covering some other stuff league-wide and then some other stuff that, well, probably going to make some people upset. First off, I want to get to some follow-ups and fact checks. Follow-up. Who is the Bucks player representative for the new CBA vote, we asked? And the answer is Ali Barpet. Co-alternative number one is Levante David. Co-alternative number two is Bo Allen. I never would have guessed any of those. You know, I knew it was Ali Marpet, but I didn't know. I didn't know well enough to recall it. Sure you did. But I remember hearing it. Likely story. Follow-up. Monty Kiffin is currently player personnel analyst at Ole Miss for his son, Lane Kiffin. Ah, that's cool. Yeah. So semi-retired, probably. Yeah, but he's not coaching. Gotcha. He's a player personnel analyst, whatever that means. A he, scout? He analyzes player personnel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, got a little bit of Bucks news going on. Uh, according to Greg Allman of the Athletic.com, the Bucks are not going to tender offensive lineman Mike Lidke. I didn't even know that he was maybe possibly going to be tendered. I forgot he was even on the team, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> well... Yeah, he's been there for quite a while. He played last year. He got hurt. I know he played like uh, like six or seven games the year before. Really? If I recall correctly. Uh, which follow up? Yeah, if I'm having to recall things, it's probably not correct. <laughs> but yeah, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent now. So we need to get some more depth at our line. We'll probably end up signing him later in the off season. Yeah. Interesting little tidbit. At the uh, Combine, there is a Women of the NFL Combine event that happens every year. The Buccaneers found out about it. It wasn't a part of their program or anything. And uh, they quietly showed up and picked up the entire bar tab for all the women. They cited wanting to support women in American football at every level possible is the reason. Now, the Buccaneers are very active with uh, women in football causes. That's thanks to Darcy. Darcy who? The Glazer. <laughs> I just wanted you to Are you even a there. fan? Well, I'm just like, you know, there might be people listening who don't know who Darcy is. Okay, uh, Tampa was supposed to be supposed to hold the NFL Consumer Product Summit this week. It was supposed to happen from Monday to Wednesday in Tampa, but the NFL postponed it, uh, basically due to the coronavirus. Interesting. Yeah, so Tampa missed out on that. Don't know if it's going to be rescheduled or if they're just not going to do it this year. I am guessing... They're just not going to do it this year. But that's a big event for all the vendors and a lot of businesses in the area as well. So that hurts. That coronavirus is hurting a lot of stuff. Which brings me to an interesting question. If this continues on, is the NFL going to be playing in empty stadiums? Because it's happening around the world where teams are playing in empty stadiums. Because no one wants to go out. No, because they won't let people come to the game. Oh, all the quarantines. All the quarantines, yeah. 
So if this if this carries on into like September, October, we might see televised games with no fans in the stadiums. How weird would that be? I remember when they did, <laughs> they had no announcers. And there was no color commentary or anything. They just had the background noise and, and all that. That was a real shock to the system. It was weird. Wait, why didn't they have any? They were just testing it out to see oh, gotcha. how. Okay. Because a lot of people were complaining, me being one of them, about having to listen. I, I normally turn the sound down or off. You know, because I don't like listening to the announcers. But this would really be a shock. Could you imagine seeing an NFL football team play in a totally empty stadium? Just watch a Jacksonville Jaguars game. It'll be (laughs) the same thing. (laughs) Oh, gut shots of Florida teams coming at you from Molly Bay. You know, I didn't say the Bucks, so. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) They probably said the same thing about us. Uh, we got some news as far as the NFL Players Association. They are electing a new president tomorrow, Tuesday, March 10th. The current president is Eric Winston of the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, to be an NFL Player Association president, you have to be in the NFL. You have to be an active player. Well, they've got four nominees that have been announced. Previously, there was only one nominee that was announced. That was Russell Okung. Uh, but now we know of all four of them. One is Michael Thomas, not Michael Thomas of the New Orleans Saints, but the Giants. I think he said he was a safety. Uh, J.C. Treader, Russell Okung, and our very own Sam Acho, linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He might be the uh, president for the NFL Players Association. How awesome would that be? That would be cool. I kind of like it. And him. he is really lobbying for the new CBA deal. That's so. right. He's the only one of the four that's come out in favor of the new CBA deal. Russell Okung and Michael Thomas voted no. Uh, not sure what J.C. Treader voted. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I did because I read his summary on Twitter, and you could tell by his summary that he is not a big fan of the CBA. Which brings us to the CBA. Good segue. <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar, the Collective Bargaining Agreement, also known as the CBA, is negotiated between the NFL Players Association and the owners of the NFL. It's to decide how to divvy up compensation, uh, how many games are going to be played, basically all the rules and administration aspects of the NFL. Uh, this year, there's a lot of big changes coming. One of them is the owners are wanting 17 games. Now, there's been a lot of uh, mumbling amongst the players as to whether they want to do this or not. Some are in favor. Some of them aren't in favor. The ones that aren't in favor, I think, are being a lot louder than the ones that are in favor. But Bruce Arians brought up a good point in his press conference at the Combine. He said he doesn't care. He, he said, he, look, he's, he's labor. He just does what they tell him. But his big question is, who's going to get the extra home game? Which is a really good point it, that I, I hadn't had, seen brought up before. I had not thought about that. And, you know, a 17 games is an odd number. So somebody's going to get half the team is going or half the plays, half the teams are going to get an extra home game. And how are they going to figure that out? Or, or are they going to play on neutral territory? We'll go to an a, a, a opposing field Opposing teams field. Maybe well, you do. I gotta get the, my talking straight because we got a lot to talk about tonight. Maybe you do AFC gets the extra one one year, NFC the next year. Could like be. rotate odd and even years. I don't know, man. I, th- I tell you, I think it's uh, 17 games ain't gonna work. And that leads us into the next segue. Uh, some NFL owners have hoped that the, this CBA does not pass because they want. 18 games, not 17 games. Well, and that would solve the odd home game. It would question. definitely solve that. 
Uh, now, only 75% of the owners were needed to vote yes in order for the CBA to be approved before the vote is passed to the players. Like I said, not all owners voted yes, and it's reported that some of them did not vote yes because they want 18 games. Now, the players have until Saturday. That was just extended today. It was going to yes, be Thursday. Thursday. But it's extended to Saturday, March 14th. This is, what, the fourth extension they've done with this thing now? And there's about 1,900 members in the players' union, and they just need a simple majority. So 801, or no, that's not even math. No. That was bad math. 951. There we go. I didn't even have to use a calculator. (laughs) So they just have to have a simple majority. Now, some of the owners do not want this CBA to be passed so that they can go back to the negotiating table and put 18 games back on this list. If 17 games is not going to do the trick, why would 18 games? (laughs) I think think at this point the players would have a meltdown if you tried to give them 18 games. But in this new CBA, I thought that they were going to throw in an extra bye week, but they didn't. That's for the 18-game measure. So anyhow, we don't know anything until this gets approved. And if it doesn't get approved, it's going to go back to the bargaining table and it's not going to be the same CBA again coming out. One of the things they did do in this new CBA is they removed suspensions for testing positive for marijuana and instead replaced them with fines. Uh, the first time you get busted, popped with marijuana, I think it's a half a game check. And then the second time you get popped, it's a full game check. And then the third time you get popped, it's a... I don't know, two-game check, something like that. It's, it's out there somewhere. So is Josh Gordon going to be reinstated? Right. Yeah, you know Josh Gordon's happy about this, but he'd, be, he'd end up playing for free all year because he would, he would do every single game check because it keeps going up until I think it's around uh, the seventh offense, then they suspend you. So you got up to seven times. I think at a certain point he would have to forego long enough to get a paycheck so that he could buy some more weed. Well, my issue, which I think almost everybody agrees with this, is why even test for it? Seriously. Do they test for alcohol? Uh, if you are in the substance abuse program, yes. Gotcha. If you're in phase two, then they test for alcohol. But alcohol only stays in the system for what, 24 hours or something. And that's only it's if like you test a positive for another. Right. Or if you put yourself into the substance abuse program. So why do they have the marijuana thing? It's probably because some of the owners or somebody connected with the NFL <laughs> makes a lot of money off of these tests. <laughs> Because why even have it? Why even have the marijuana test? Well, I think it's a relic of a past time. Yeah. I mean, it's only been in the last five years that marijuana has become kind of mainstream and attitudes about it have changed. True enough. Back in my day, we called it the wacky weed. <laughs> you watch Reefer Madness with your parents? <laughs> no. Wasn't that the propaganda movie? I showed Reefer Madness to my kids. Oh, right. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) No. Okay, and, you know, a lot of the players, they're asking the same question. Why is marijuana even being tested? So, you know, they're kind of happy with the new thing that you're not going to be suspended for it. But they're not happy with the 17 games. Now, that's some of the players. We don't know how many players. But here's an interesting thing. The media is twisting a poll by Seton University about the extension of NFL games. What they did is... Seton University polled a bunch of people, and they found out that only 31% 
of the people polled agreed with extending the season to 17 games. So well, this is the lay people. They just wanted the common perception how people felt about a 17-game season. Not if you read the media articles. Okay. Jesse Reed of SportsNot.com wrote an article which has been syndicated across the country with the title. This is, this is the title. University poll shows only 31% of NFL fans in favor of 17-game season. Now, the data states that 693 adults across the country were polled, but it didn't state if they were NFL fans or not. So, me being the person I am, and knowing from anecdotal evidence, every single person I know that watches the NFL is ecstatic about having another game. All of them. I, I haven't met a single person that's not even, that, 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 that's ambivalent. You know, it's anecdotal, of course. So, you know, I'm like, this can't be right. There's got to be something wrong here. So, I emailed the university. I emailed uh, Marty Appel for clarification. And I asked him, I said, of all the people y'all polled, did y'all specifically ask them if they were NFL fans or if they didn't have anything to do with sports at all? Well, you know, Do you have any data on that? Well, they were very kind and gracious, and they sent me back a bunch of data and replied stating that 51% of the, percent of the respondents, about 346 of the people polled, said that they follow sports closely or very closely. No mention of the NFL or football specifically. So that means 49% of them didn't follow sports at all. 51% of them followed sports, but not necessarily the NFL. He has, they had no data whatsoever on how many of these people polled are NFL fans. But the title of the article is, University Poll Shows Only 31% of NFL Fans in Favor of 17-Game Season. I am shocked that the media would mislead us <laughs> it, like this. It is, it is totally mind-blowing. I don't know if this has ever happened before. Yeah, and that's been syndicated. So most most people that have read this or listened to this podcast have probably seen this article somewhere because it was syndicated nationwide. So why would the media do that? Uh, Pro Football Talk, they posted a Twitter poll asking about the 17-game season. And it generated more than 56,000 votes, actually 56,316 Uh and they said, with more than 62% of those who responded saying they don't want a 17-game season. I found it funny they said 62% because the actual figure is 62.1%. But they said more than 62%. Technically, it's true. <laughs> I tell, but. but that's, they just take the more than out of there. That's ridiculous to say more than 62%. Yes, it was 62.1%. And then they go on to say that left fewer than 38%, which it was actually 37.9%. That's just, that's just tricky stuff. That's playing with numbers. I hate that crap. So anyhow, they said that left fewer than 38% in favor of the expansion of the season from 16 games to 17. Now, one, this is a Twitter poll. There is absolutely no way to stop anybody from voting multiple times. Two, we have no idea if these people are NFL fans. Three, I read the comments on this poll when they put it up, and almost everybody in the comments was like, um, why are we even asking? This is a stupid question. Of course we want more football. You know, people were like, I'd have football every week. I'd have 52 games a year if we could. There's very few comments in the, who said that they didn't agree with having more than 16 games. And when they did, it was because of injuries. You know, they were like, I'm worried about injuries to the players. So I'd rather just keep it at 16. They said things such as if it's not broke, don't fix it. But the vast majority of people that commented were like, this is a silly poll. Everybody wants 17 games. They want more football. So this has been touted throughout the media as well. 
Matter of fact, here's here's a quote from an article. It's actually from the NBC Sports article. It says, it's a somewhat surprising outcome, especially given the gradual sense of inevitability that has emerged in recent months regarding the move to 17. But here's what also shouldn't be surprising. The NFL won't care about this or any other poll. The league has decided to find another place in the pizza to cram cheese. The league will be putting it on the menu and we will be eating it. Eventually, 17 will become 18. Again, it feels inevitable. And the ongoing expansion of legalized gambling makes it even more likely. And here's the part that I found very telling. He says, There's too much money to be made by having another two weekends of games on which to wager, regardless of concerns about player safety or fan opposition or anything else other than the basic exercise of capitalism. End quote. Folks, the media is being manipulative with this crap. We're going to get into some serious issues here in a second about the media. But with this issue in particular, they're skewing stuff. They're wanting people to think that player that fans don't want 17 games, which is malarkey. Every fan I know wants more football. The media loves doing this. They love doing this. They love playing the David Goliath, the speaking truth to power, the oppressor oppressee thing. You know, they feel like... The NFL is trying to cram this down everybody's throat. This is how they're portraying it. They're trying to cram it down everybody's throats. Because of greed. Because of greed. Capitalism. Gambling. And they're giving a platform to the players who are against the CBA. They're not giving a platform to the players who are for the CBA, like Sam Acho. You don't see him on NFL Network talking about how great the the new CBA is going to be. But you'll hear everybody that's got an opinion against the CBA is going to get a platform. Don't let them fool you. Most people that watch football, the vast majority of them, are fine with more football. <laughs> it's like the, the dumbest question in the world. It's like, hey, do you like chocolate? Yeah, I like chocolate. How often do you eat chocolate? I eat chocolate, I don't know, uh, three times a week. If you could eat four chocolate five times a week without gaining weight, would you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, why don't you eat more chocolate? Well, because it makes me gain weight. You know, Why don't you watch more football? Well, because there isn't any more football. Would you like to have more football? Yeah. God, it's just ridiculous. Why is the media doing this? What's going on? What is going on? Well, before we get into that, let's pay some bills real quick. All righty. Now we're going to touch on some stuff a little bit concerning the media, but we want to talk about CTE. The new CBA is coming out. They're wanting 17 games. A lot of people are saying they don't want more football because they don't want players to get injured. Injury has been a huge issue over the past decade. CTE has been at the forefront of everybody's thoughts on this aspect. Well, I want to start this off by saying that me and my, we're not experts. Neither one of us are medical doctors, neurosurgeon, pathologist, forensic pathologist, forensic neurologist, none of that stuff. We're just regular people. But we have been following this very closely since the inception, and we've got a lot to say. So this is going to be quite a hefty podcast. And we hope everyone will learn something today. Yeah, if nothing we else. We learned a lot. Whether you agree with us or you don't, you know, you're going to learn something from this. But we were talking about the media, and we're going to cover the media to a great extent here with the CTE stuff. But we, there's a phrase that sticks with me and is stuck with me, and I, I kind of apply it to most everything that I see pop up on the world stage. Uh, the original fr- Quote is by Eric Hoffer, the book, uh, The Temper of Our Time. He says, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. 
the way I say it is causes become movements, movements become industries, industries become scams. That's how I say it. That's how I look at things. And I've always felt with CTE that there was it, it, it moved way too fast for one, uh, the hoopla behind it. And then also when I saw how the the media reacted to it, I knew there was something little a little fishy there. So first, let's break down what exactly is CTE. A CTE is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. It is a it's diagnosed as a disease, but that's debatable as well. But it can only be diagnosed after death. As it stands right now, the only way a person can be diagnosed with having CTE is through an autopsy autopsy performed on the brain. And of course, that can only happen after death. Now, the way CTE is diagnosed is when there's a protein called tau, which forms clumps in the folds of the brain. Now, this is a very, very, very microscopic thing. Very small. You can only see it with a microscope. And it's little clusters of proteins called tau. Now, CTE became the football catchphrase when, in 2005, Bennett Omalu first reported finding a new tau protein in Pittsburgh Steeler Mike Webster's autopsy after he had had a heart attack at age 50. Now, Mike Webster had had uh, problems for a long time with uh, his mental health, his physical health. There was a, He had all kinds of issues. So when he died of a heart attack at 50, his family wanted Dr. Bennett Omalu to look at it. Now, Omalu takes credit for finding and naming the disease, but it was originally named and studied in boxers in the 1920s. It was called Dementia Pugilistica. And the seminal work on the disease came from the British neurologist McDonald Critchley. That's a British name if I ever heard one. He, in, in 1949, wrote a paper entitled Punch Drunk Syndrome, the Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy of Boxers. Now, if you want to read up on some serious drama and some... Well, I don't want to say scammy stuff. Let's say let's say sketchy personalities. Read up on Dr. Amalu, the guy who claims that he invented CTE or that he found it. He definitely is the one who gets credit for bringing it to the forefront of the NFL's issue we're dealing with nowadays. He's he's the first one to find it in an NFL player. Let's put it that way. He's also the one that Will Smith played in the movie Concussion, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Now, Boston University has a concussion research center that deals with CTE almost exclusively, actually. Now, uh, they've developed what they call as four stages of CTE. This is something of their own making. It's not established throughout the medical community at all. I'm going to go into more depth on this in a minute. Yes, we're going to talk about Boston University quite a bit. Uh, the four stages of CTE... The first stage is if you even have one of these tau proteins in your brain. As a matter of fact, they don't even have a floor for stage one. Which is a huge problem. It's a huge problem. Uh, basically, we all have tau proteins in our brain. We all have these little clusters, at least a few of them. I mean, if you take our brains apart and you go through them with a microscope, you're going to find some of these tau clusters in there. So when you hear statements such as players' brains showed signs of TE, CTE, that's basically what they're saying is that they found some of these tau clusters. They're not, you know, they're not saying they're advanced, that it was, you know, all over their brain or that they had any issues whatsoever. They're just basically saying that they found some of these tau clusters, which you can find in almost every healthy brain. When you hear them say they showed signs of it or they had stage one CTE, which is what, what they mean when they say showed signs of it. If they, if they have stage three or four CTE, oh, they say that. But if they say they showed signs of it or they say they found signs of CTE, then that generally means it's stage one or stage two, which it 
the same as a healthy brain, but we'll get into that later. So that's what CTE is. Now, how did this become an issue? How did CTE become an issue with the NFL? Now, we talked about Dr. Amalu, who found the first evidence of CTE in an NFL player, but that was in 2005. Basically, this all started because of a lawsuit by a bunch of lawyers in a class action suit against the NFL. Now, there were many firms involved in this class action lawsuit, but Seeger Weiss Law Firm has been designated as the class counsel, which means they are the big daddies. They're the one that's getting all the money. Uh, they've received over $110 million from the settlement already. Uh, in the original class action suit, there were 4,500 players or their estates involved. Now, this was a typical class action lawsuit. I don't know if you've ever gotten it in the mail where out of nowhere you'll get a letter saying, hey, look, we're... Uh, a, we're doing a class action lawsuits against ibuprofen. Uh, if you've taken ibuprofen in the past 20 years, sign this thing and you'll be part of the class action lawsuit and you'll receive part of the settlement. That's exactly what this was. They had 4,500 players originally. They ended up with 20,553. Basically, every single player that's played in the NFL since the inception of the NFL. <clears throat> now, if you want some drama, go follow the case. It's really, really fascinating. Uh, the Seeger Weiss law firm, <laughs> uh, has just recently been appointed, I think within the past couple of years as the case counsel, removing all other lawyers from the case. And, uh, the main lawyer, I can't remember his name, Weiss, I think it might be Seeger, Seeger Weiss. Uh, he blew through 90% of his fees in two years. He blew through over a hundred million dollars in two years. Now this was, this was supposed to be a 65 year settlement. His fee is supposed to handle the players for 65 years. He's blown through 90% of it already, extravagantly. Uh, he's being charged right now for steering multiple ex-players who were receiving settlement proceeds to a bank for interest charging advances on their settlement proceeds, who he didn't tell them he just happened to be on the board of. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on with this. I mean, it is crazy, crazy, crazy when you look into it. But the interesting thing of this is, they put in a brief. They put in this uh, class action suit. Now, when lawyers put in suits and briefs and all this good stuff, it doesn't have to be truthful. You know? That's what the trial's for. Exactly. You submit the brief to the court and you say, this are, these are our arguments. And then once it makes it to trial, that's where the judge or the jury can decide on the merits of the case. Right. And it's up to the opposing side to dispute the facts in the the argument well the the lawyers for the plaintiffs the the class action lawyers they put forth this brief and uh that's where all the media got all their information from to start with this case never went to court it was settled out of court after a number of years uh so the media has only had the players lawyers briefs and evidence which was never disputed in court and they've been using that as statement of fact they did from day one and up to now, they're still using that the lawyer's evidence as statement of fact when it has never gone to trial and almost all of it was bunk. Well, I think a lot of people assume that when a party elects to settle a case, that means that the case against them is true. You would think, but that's not true. Matter of fact, it's not true in the vast majority of settlements, especially insurance claims and stuff like that. It's just, it's just not worth the trouble. Right. It's going to cost more to fight it than it would to just pay a settlement out. Right. And the, the NFL 
settled for $756 million, and this is supposed to be a 65-year settlement. So uh, the the NFL, we don't know the reasons behind it, or you know, I'm, I'm not trying to visit their intentions or anything, but there was a lot of media pressure on them you know, against the NFL for this stuff. And it mathematically makes sense. You know, that's $756 million over 65 years. That's a good deal for them. So this brief put forth all these arguments and the public and the media, they've been reporting on it. Originally. Now, originally there wasn't a whole industry behind the CTE. CTE was a totally new thing. It was only basically brought up in 2005. And then the settlement happened, I mean, the... The suit happened, I think, I'm not real sure, I should have looked this up, but I want to say 2009, 2010, and that's when this whole industry popped up. There was not a whole lot of information on CTE before then. I mean, there had been studies on boxers and things of that nature, but this was a whole totally new area. But it became the new buzzword. Yes. And you think of CTE CTE, and you think of all these neurodegenerative diseases and basically men becoming vegetables because they've had too many hits to the head. Dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Rage, mental illness. Depression. Depression, suicidal thoughts. Here's what we know about CTE. It's the accumulation of chow in the brain. That is it. That's what's been established by science. Right. That's, that's not saying anything else. That's just saying we... That's how we can identify CTE is the accumulation of tau in the brain. Boom. That's it. That's it. We don't know what other factors have an impact on tau in the brain, like drug use, smoking, obesity, chronic inflammation. We don't know why it accumulates on the brain. But we do know that those things cause tau buildups in the brain. Obesity, drug use, which includes steroids, opioids are very big in causing CTE. Or, th- or this towel buildup in the brain. Obesity is a big one, too. We don't know why it accumulates on the brain. Some people are susceptible to it. Some people aren't. So some people can get hit in the head 100 times and not have any. And some people can never sustain a hit to the head and they have it on the brain. That's right. There's people with known severe and repeated head trauma that have absolutely no towel or CTE. And there's people with known head, no known head trauma ever that have been found to have tau and diagnosed with CTE due to any of these number of factors, opioid abuse being one of the big ones, and uh, obesity, but inflammation on the brain. Which I'm going to talk about the inflammation theory in just a second. Ralph mentioned the staging issue. So Boston University, which we'll get into in a minute, is the big CTE program that has really been at the forefront of this cause. And in 2015, a panel of experts met to come up with diagnostic criteria for CTE. It was supposed to be preliminary. And they looked at 10 hand-picked brains that they agreed were stage three and stage four CTE. Again, there was no stage one or stage two brains. It was just these 10, stage three or four. So they developed a criteria based on these brains. And that was it. That's all that's happened. I've actually emailed Peter Cummings, who was the co-author of Brainwashed with Merrill Hodge. Yes, if you want to read some good information on CTE and the current uh, concussion crisis going on in the NFL and across 
the country, not just with the NFL, but uh, youth football and all that good stuff. Read Brainwashed by uh, Merrill Hodge. If you, if you don't know who Merrill Hodge was, he used to be a running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had to leave football because of a concussion, multiple concussions he received. Uh, he, he tells a great story. He's been through it. He's been there. He's done that. And he's actually integral in the league now trying to deal with concussion protocols, how they handle concussions within the league. Yes, yes, which we'll get to that in a moment because I found that stuff fascinating. But it's a fantastic book. It's called Brainwash by Merrill Hodge. Hodge. I used to watch Merrill Hodge and Ron Jaworski. They were my favorite to watch on, uh, God, I want to say it was ESPN. This was back way before the NFL Network. They used to do, they, they're the ones that actually got me into uh, looking at game film. They were the only ones that looked at game film. They would then... Merrill Hodge was always so serious, but he had, he was just so good at explaining things on screen with the All-22, which was fascinating. But he's he's the one that got me into that. Gosh, how is the world that I become a Buccaneers fan? You know, I got like Merrill Hodge, Hardy Nickerson. Lynn, I was a big Lynn Swan fan growing up. I should have been a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Ugh. I know. Ugh. <laughs> Yuck. So back to staging. So they meet uh, these BU people meet they study brains from BU's files they cherry pick the brains and that's what they've used for this diagnostic criteria they should have met they were supposed to meet again this was a preliminary meeting and as I was saying before Ralph rudely interrupted me with his tangent I emailed the co-author Peter Cummings who is also a neuropathologist at BU but he's not in the that program to see if they had met since the publishing of the book. Now, I haven't heard back from him. I will let you know. But from my search, I don't think that they have. No, they haven't. They have not met again. Okay, good. And typically in this diagnostic criteria staging, they do it for a lot of different diseases. Right. So, yeah, that's what you do. You get the whole community together and you'd establish what's going to be the diagnostic criteria. They have not done that with CTE. Ever. Ever. So for comparison, they recently did this for Alzheimer's, and they had multiple panels. They posted the results online of these panels, this consensus. And it was open and transparent worldwide. I mean, this was open to everybody across the world who had an input on it. And they took feedback based on what people read online. They revised their criteria, and that's how they established the diagnostic criteria. That's never happened for CTE. Right. Boston University has basically been control of the CTE narrative from the get-go. It's a problem because a lot of these symptoms with CTE overlap with other neurodegenerative diseases. So there's no unique feature separating CTE from any other disorder. Another problem with the science is that the way that... CTE cases are reported, it makes it seem like when there are other neurodegenerative diseases present in a brain that shows signs of CTE, the language in the report makes it sound as though the CTE is causing the other diseases. Where this initial meeting from BU had said when other neurodegenerative diseases are present, you're supposed to exclude CTE, but that's not actually what happens in these reports. Now, everyone's heard the study, 110 brains of 111 that they studied found signs of CTE. Is that NFL players? NFL players. Yeah. Yeah. This is the one that the media loves. They just oh, love this one. They love this 99% one. of brains. It was everywhere. 
Did you know that they only studied the brains that were donated by family members where the deceased had moved behavior or cognitive problems? There was no control group. None whatsoever. So they didn't have a group of normal brains where there weren't any of these problems to see how they compared. Yeah, the authors of the study actually said in the paper that it was a biased study. They admitted it themselves. It's right there in the, in the abstract. It's like you walk into an Alzheimer's brain bank, study those brains, and say 100% of people have Alzheimer's. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. And without the control group to compare it to, your results are really meaningless. And plus, they use the low threshold of the CTE stage one that they established themselves, which right. basically we all, you probably have, listen to this podcast, you probably would be diagnosed with CTE stage one by Boston University right now because they would look in your head and find some of these style proteins, which everybody has, almost everybody. In these 110 brains, 15 had stage 1 or 2, and their average age at death was 44. The other 95 that showed signs of CTE were stage 3 or 4, and their average age at death was 71. Now, it might be normal as we age for tau proteins to develop. So the fact that the average age of these older brains showed, or I said that backwards, the older brain showed more severe CTE, it makes sense because as you age, you may develop tau proteins. Another glaring issue with the science is that they don't study women's brains. Right. Which that's was discovered with pharmaceuticals, that it's a problem when pharmaceutical companies don't test on women as well as men because our physiology is different and pharmaceuticals can impact you differently. Yes, and they found that women recover from concussions differently than men do. It's just like children recover com from concussions differently than adults do. A 2017 study found that women's soccer actually has the highest rate of concussion and traumatic brain, in brain injury of any sport. But you don't hear that in the news. It's all football. I don't hear yeah. anybody calling for women's soccer to be banned. Many of the studies rely on self-reports or the reports of loved ones as to a patient's mood or cognitive decline. And a lot of these studies do show an increased risk of cognitive disorders as adults if the children start football earlier. That's the one where the earlier you start football, the more likely you are to have cognitive decline later. But when studies actually use a accepted test of your neurological function and they get a baseline of these kids and then they test them later to see how their baseline is impacted, there's no decline. So when the relatives are reporting or they're reporting mood issues, cognitive problems, then they're saying, oh, that's correlated to your participation in this contact sport. But the actual scientific tests don't show this. Other studies don't control for other factors that can cause conditions associated with CTE, like childhood stressors, predisposition to conditions like depression, drug use, family history. So that's a big problem. The brain bank at Boston University takes in a lot of, you know, a lot of people donate their family members' brains to Boston University to be studied. And 
a vast majority of those are collected from either college or professional players. But that's not representative of the majority of football players. Most people play football in youth or high school, and that's when they stop. True. But the brains being studied are just college and football. So they've gone that much further. There's no telling the differences in those brains. But that's not being studied. Now, BU has this brain bank, and they are very possessive of their samples. Very. I'll talk about that in a minute, how much they fight you. But when, so there's no replication of their research. They're not sending out their samples to be tested by other labs to determine whether what they found is reliable. When independent researchers have done work similar to Boston University's, they find very different results. Yes, actually, none of the research published by Dr. McKee from the uh, Concussion Legacy Foundation or the Boston University CTE Center has been replicated by any other researcher at all. Meaning that using the same samples, controls, and methods, no independent researchers have been able to duplicate their results. That's damning. And this is Boston University. If you read any article in the media, I guarantee you, just randomly go to type in CTE into your favorite search engine, Read the first article, and I guarantee you they're going to have quotes and data from Boston University. That's where the media goes to get their stuff. Unfortunately, none of Boston University's stuff is, what do you say, transparent at all. They don't share their data. They're not transparent at all. And nobody can replicate their findings. That, that's just damning. There was a study in 2016 by Canadian neuropathologists, and they studied 111 brains from people ages 18 to 60. According to the BU staging system, they found CTE in only 4.5% of the brains. But when they expanded the criteria to include any signs of tau, because again, there's no stage one, there's no floor, the number ballooned to 35.1% of the brains. Now, in that study, a major predictor of CTE was head trauma and substance abuse. Substance abuse. Again. You hearing that? Only two of the brains that they found the CTE in were in contact sport. And one of the brains who the person played football in high school had no CTE. Yeah, see, almost all research and analysis done outside of Boston University comes to the conclusion that CTE really is not that big of a thing. Or if it is, it's not necessarily caused by hits to the head or, you know, it's not been established how you get CTE. Now, there was that big study, you know, the sub-concussive impacts. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay. That's the one that started making everybody think offensive linemen and defensive linemen were probably the worst with CTE. Right. And then they said soccer players probably have CTE because, you know, they had the ball. Yeah, which uh, I think it's Britain has totally banned youth soccer from doing headers now. Really? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, when they came out with that study, again, there's no floor. We don't know how much force it takes to cause this sub-concussive hits. So Merle Hodge actually says in the book, you can have a vigorous pillow fight <laughs> and have a, a sub-concussive impact. And get CTE from a pillow fight. Right. Now, white matter changes in these brains that supposedly have the sub-concussive impacts were also found in people with learning disabilities, who were obese, who had diabetes, 
had a low socioeconomic status, ADHD, and also endurance athletes. There have been studies on the subconcussive impacts, and one study which looked at the other study of studies, you know how like they, yeah, they yeah. like to do that, they review a bunch of what, studies. What's that called? It's metadata. Yeah, metadata, yeah. Found that studies on these subconcussive impacts were filled with sources of bias, including improper control of errors and inappropriate controls. Another 2018 paper found that the evidence was weak, and there, again, as we mentioned, was no way to determine the minimum threshold for what produces a subconcussive impact. A 2016 study from the UK studied 32 young soccer professional soccer players, but found no significant, quote, no significant neurological, structural, brain imaging, or neuropsychological change from heading the ball. So despite that, the UK has banned heading. So there are theories as to what could cause these tau deposits on the brain. And as Ralph has mentioned, there's a lot of other variables that can impact it. I love the inflammation theory. I think Mm -hmm. this one makes so much sense. Yes. And well-backed by science. Exactly. So when you get a hit to the head, you have an inflammatory response. Just like you would any other time, you know, if you cut your finger or you get a bruise, your body reacts, your immune system, to try to heal this injury. So what happens to the brain is that your nerve cells release neurotransmitters and potassium and then take in calcium ions and they reduce energy production, which which is interesting because there is a calcium theory for Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. that your basically neurons are calcifying. So that kind of stuck out to me with that. Mm -hmm. But your cells, they start breaking down glucose to try to provide energy to the cell so it can start repairing itself. If you get hit again in the head before you've had a chance to recover, you can enter into chronic inflammation. And that's where the problem is. Our diets can actually make us be in a constant state of inflammation. Oh, yes. So with a lot of sugar, high processed foods, and there's even research that shows that an inflammatory immune response called immunoexotoxicity. That was a big word. I know. I don't think I said it right. (laughs) I think you did. (laughs) That might be the cause of degenerative neurological problems. So... Basically, what happens is that you've got these toxins in your brain, and they're emitted during this inflammation response. And you need blood flow to your brain to, one, provide oxygen to your brain, but also to carry those toxins out. And if that's not happening, then they're stuck in your brain Mm -hmm. and can cause all these degenerative issues. Yeah, I mean, tau deposits, unchecked buildup in the brain can cause neurological malfunctions, and tau accumulation is part of what causes diseases like Alzheimer's. Uh, but drug use, anabolic steroid use, obesity, chronic inflammation, chronic stress, they all build up tau deposits in the brain. Head trauma is not the single factor. Stress was really an interesting one to me. Yes. Yes, stress is very, very bad for the body. God, you want to read up some scary stuff, dude. Look up uh, stress research. Ugh. That'll kill you quicker than anything. Yeah. Keeping your body, because your body, your whole body becomes inflamed, basically. Now, obesity is a big problem in chronic inflammation. And 
UCLA did some research. They actually took MRIs of players that were experiencing mood and cognitive problems. Those with the most problems also had impaired blood flow to the brain. They, here's the control, they age and gender matched the players with healthy ones in the same age range gender so that they had a comparison between the two. So basically the whole group of these players had this impaired blood flow with the exception of a backup quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) So Ryan Griffin's fine. Right. Eight. 18 out of the 100 had dementia in the age range of 25 to 82. My guess would be they were probably on the outer range of that, yeah, Uh, which is higher than the national average. 28% had clinical depression, which is three times the national average. 81% scored abnormally on a focus and attention test. And 48% were obese, which that increases the risk of neurodegenerative diseases. 30% had sleep apnea, which that can factor in with obesity. A lot of obese people have sleep apnea. True. And that doubles your risk for Alzheimer's. I mean, it makes sense. You're sleeping. You don't get any oxygen to the brain. Didn't Mm -hmm. we just say you need oxygen and blood flow to the brain to carry out this inflammation? Mm Mm-hmm. You are correct, sir. The same researchers, they compared the NFL players who were overweight or obese to those with a normal weight and compared their brain function. Again, matching them by position and age. And those that were overweight or obese based on their weight to height ratio, which is apparently a better way to measure than BMI for guys that size, had poor cerebral blood flow to the front and temporal lobes. Now, these are areas where CTE is commonly found. Hmm. Isn't that funny? It is funny. That same UCLA team in a 2011 study found a connection between BMI, reduced blood flow to the brain, and negative impact on behavior. Another study that they did, they've done some great studies here. Oh, there's a ton of them. Yeah. Found that players with the body mass in the overweight category also had impaired blood flow to areas of the brain controlling attention, reasoning, and executive function and severe cognitive impairment. A 2016 study... I don't think from the same group, but I could be wrong, compared a group of overweight players to normal weight players, and they found that the overweight players had reduced blood flow to 36 regions of their brains. 36 regions. That's just crazy. Okay, so basically what we know is that CTE is diagnosed after death by tau proteins in the brain, clusters of these proteins in the brain. That's basically all we know. That's basically all we know. But if you were to read articles or listen to the media, you would think they pretty much have this stuff nailed down. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of the, I think it's called the Gale Man Amnesia Effect. And it goes something like this. This is uh, Michael Crichton came up with it. He said, you open the newspaper to an article on some subject you know well. Uh, You read the article and you see the journalist has absolutely no understanding of either the facts or the issues. This happens to me all the time. You know, being a computer programmer, I don't think I've ever read an article or seen a movie that portrays a computer programmer in any way, shape, or form as <laughs> computer programs are made. So, uh, What? You can't just hack into a streetlight? No. Well, I can, but I'm not going <laughs> to say that out loud because then I'd probably get in trouble. No, I can't do that. Nobody can do that. Stupid. 
Uh, what about a camera in 7-Eleven? A camera anywhere. You just point <laughs> to it, I hack into it. Uh, anyhow, you read the article and see the journalist has absolutely no understanding of either the facts or the issues. Often the article is so wrong, it actually presents the story backward, reversing cause and effect. In any case, you read with exasperation or amusement the multiple errors in a story that you're familiar with the subject matter, and then you turn the page and read as if the rest of the newspaper was somehow more accurate than the baloney you just read. Basically, you turn the page and you forget what you know. That's the uh, Gell man amnesia effect with uh, articles. Well, I read about the CTE stuff all the time in the papers, and it really, it really bothers me because they get it so wrong. Now, there are only about 300 documented cases of CTE in the entire world. That was at the time of publishing of Brainwashed, I think, in... 2016. Yeah, 16, 18. I'm sure there's more now, but there can't be that. The point many is more. still the same. There is 300 documented cases of CTE in the entire world. There are more New York Times stories about CTE than there are documented cases of CTE. That's just the New York Times. That's just the New York Times. That just blows my mind. Right. Now, we know that there is zero evidence whatsoever, none, zip, nada, that concussions cause CTE. No evidence. None. There is no scientific evidence, no peer-reviewed papers, nothing. Nothing. But it doesn't stop the media. It doesn't stop these people from constantly pounding away at our beloved sport. And it seems like all the media is against the NFL, sports writers included. I mean, sports writers sit around and they lament the poor players being used by the rich owners. You know, media loves to portray the David against the Goliath, you know, You've got movies, like we mentioned before, Concussion, by starring Will Smith. That's about the uh, Dr. Romalo, who first came up, connected CTE with uh, football players. That was a movie that made him seem like an angel. And the NFL was the big bad people trying to suppress his findings. That's not the case. It wasn't the case. Read up on him. Read up on him. It's fascinating. I mean, the guy is basically, he's out of the medical field completely now. He's basically going on this evangelical tour, you know? He's not practicing at all. And he's been hammered by the medical community over his findings. They, you know, they said they're wrong. He, you know, he's basically took advantage of stuff. Anyhow, read up on it. It's fascinating. Uh, the PBS Frontline did a documentary called League of Denial, the NFL's Concussion Crisis. Which this was big news. I remember when it came out, it was all over the place. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing about how horrible the NFL was treating its players. Uh, there's Aaron Hernandez documentary that was just recently put out where they said that Aaron Hernandez had the worst case of CTE ever, basically trying to say that, you know, he did all the his, his, he did his murders because of CTE, you know, because he played football. It's going to make you a murderer. Uh, there's even speculation out now that O.J. Simpson has CTE. Oh, for God's sake. Yes, I know. But where's the counter argument? I mean, this is all stuff presented by the media, right? You got the Aaron Hernandez documentary, you got League of Denial documentary, you got Concussion the movie. Where's the other side? Okay. If you are a shitty person and you want an excuse to do bad stuff for doing the shitty things that you do, wouldn't this be perfect? Yeah. We'll OJ get, Simpson. Right. Exactly. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, when you're only getting one side of the story, what you're hearing is a lie because there's always three sides to the story. Yeah. You've heard that old saying. His side, her side, and the truth. Exactly. And, but we're not getting that from the media. Uh, 
The press and a select group of experts who benefit from their stories has turned concern over CTE into a booming industry, which we talked about at the beginning of this. All causes become movements. All movements become industries. All industries become scams. Look at, remember we had the uh, Laura Komen breast cancer. Susan G. Komen. Susan G. Komen breast cancer stuff for what? Almost 30 years in the NFL? It was over 20. Anyhow, I remember it was like every year for a month. It was this stuff was just hammered in our face. What happened? Where'd it go? We still have breast cancer. Well, besides, yeah, besides the fact that we got still have breast cancer, we found out that that foundation was not on the up and up. They were spending all their money. They were spending hardly any of it on research. They were all into awareness. They were basically a marketing company. I'm aware. They were basically a scam. So if you look at all the information skeptically, as too few journalists do, the real equation becomes more like this. Head, implant, head impacts plus a lot of other variables plus time equals possible changes to the brain that might not ever affect a person's quality of life. And that's what it all boils down to. Because, like you were saying, obesity causes CTE. And look at a lot... Yeah, and look at players when they retire. It happens all the time. They are used to eating 10,000 calories a day because they're working out. They have a very vigorous, Mm -hmm. you know, football, playing football is hard on your body in that respect. Like, you got to do a lot to keep it up. And then when a lot of guys retire, they still eat the same way, but they're not working out the same way. So, you know, their weight can kind of explode. Yeah, so a lot of these guys, even while they're playing, are considered obese right you know i mean they're look at the linemen yes the linemen <laughs> some of those the guys linemen. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the linemen <laughs> so you know and it, it, obesity contributes to tau proteins in the brain boom you know uh drug abuse drug use not even abuse but right. just drug use causes tau proteins and we know opioids are prescribed very heavily to football yes. players yes well, i'm going to touch on that a little bit here in a moment so there's a lot of other variables besides head impacts that, you know, build up tau proteins in the brains. We have absolutely no evidence at all that head impacts cause tau proteins in the brain. None whatsoever. We have plenty of people who have had thousands of hits to the head, multiple concussions that have had no evidence of CTE in their brain. And then we've had people that have never had any documented case of head injury that have been diagnosed with CTE. Of course, this is all after death. It's the only way you can diagnose CT. But even Wikipedia states on their very first line that chronic traumatic encephalopathy, I knew I was going to get that wrong eventually, that CTE is a neurodegenerative disease caused by repeated head injuries. That's the very first line, and that's the definition of CTE at Wikipedia. And that's not true. It's neither a neurodegenerative disease, nor is it caused by repeated head injuries. There's no evidence for that at all. Now, you know, you know, we like to bash media here on this podcast. We did, we got away from it during the season, but I think we're going to come strong this year. We're starting off good now, but not all media is bad. Uh, Eric Adelson from Yahoo, Daniel Ember of Slate, uh, Jeff Wheelwright at Discover, AJ Russo of the Baltimore Sun, Lindsey Barton Strassoff of MomsTeam.com. They all have written really good investigative reporting on the CTE issue. If you ever get a chance, Check out some of those. They're really good stuff. We should mention Peter Cummings, too. He wrote a very high-profile article on Yahoo. I forget what it's titled. Something like, I'm a... I'm a a brain surgeon or a neurologist. A brain... Brain scientist? Brain scientist, and I'm letting my kid play football. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what got him and Merle Hodge hooked up. Yes, and let's put Merle Hodge in there, too. So there, there are, you know, good investigative journalists, but 
they're they're a very 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 small minority, and they hardly ever get the platforms that all these sensationalist journalists get. I'd like to talk about two pretty high profile CTE cases that were in the news that you touched on. The first big one I can remember was Junior Sale. Mm-hmm. Yes. Committed suicide. It kind of came out of nowhere. He was younger. It was a very sad case. And, and he was a very popular NFL player, too. Everybody loved Junior Sale. He was before my time. But he seemed like a nice guy. So he committed suicide. They say it was CTE. Of course. What they don't say is that he was a heavy drinker. He had a gambling problem. Which causes stress. Which causes never stress, right? Especially if you're losing money. Which you're going to lose money if you gamble. Yeah. <laughs> he took a lot of prescription drugs, and he had some serious financial problems, including that his restaurants closed two weeks before he killed himself. Yeah, and that's 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 some serious stress. Yeah, that's a huge stressor. Yes. So so he had, uh, you know, he t- he he drank, which has been shown so has been shown. To increase tidal deposits in the brain, he had stress, which has been shown to increase tidal deposits in the brain. He took a lot of prescription drugs, which has definitely been shown to Are increase. Are you taking drugs? I feel like it, man. <laughs> I can't get none of this out. Uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of other issues that could have possibly led to him having tau deposits in his brains, not playing football. And that could also have contributed to his suicide. Yes. Yeah. I mean, drinking heavily will definitely contribute right, to suicide. Right, that's a downer. Losing your restaurant businesses, having financial troubles is like one of the leading causes of suicide. Absolutely. But CTE, that's... That's all, that's all you've that's ever heard. That's all that anyone ever talks about. And then Aaron Hernandez, which this one I watched from the beginning. I remember when it happened. It was a crazy story. That was now, crazy story. I haven't watched the documentary. Have you watched it? No. I don't really want to give it the time of day. Because I think it's bullshit. <laughs> but we, we've already made a summary judgment on it. We've never I watched know. it. Well, from what I've heard from people who've watched it, and they've said, oh, yeah, he definitely had CTE. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. So the autopsy reports after he hanged himself in his jail cell said he had stage three CTE, and it was the most severe CTE ever found in a person of his age. And that was stage three CTE? Yeah. So nobody's ever had stage four CTE? No, at at his age. He was, (laughs) what, like 27 or something? He was young. So... If you grant that he had some severe neurodegenerative disease already, if you grant them that, was there any consideration whether he was predisposed to that genetically? You know, he had a family history. We don't know. They just jumped to CTE. We know that he was a heavy drug user. We know that he was young and young people. Suicide is the second leading cause of death. He had just had a baby and then lost a $40 million contract because he murdered somebody and was getting ready to spend the rest of his life in prison, probably. So his suicide, I think, was... I won't say that. CTE was probably not the cause of his suicide, okay? If you fall that far... That's reason enough. And that one study showed that a quarter of prisoners had had suicidal thoughts in the past year. Past year. 25% of right. all prisoners thought about killing themselves right. this year. Which and, I can understand that. I mean, And most of them didn't lose a $40 million NFL contract and 
you know, we're yeah. getting ready to miss out on their baby's life. And, you know, so to say everything Aaron Hernandez did was excusable or caused by CTE, I think is just irresponsible. Yeah, there's absolutely zero evidence, none, not a zip that CTE causes depression. This is another one of those narratives that's created by the media that's not supported at all anyway by science. It's not just a fabrication. It's dangerous to think that way. Because if someone does have depression and they blame it on CTE or they can blame it on CTE, then they're removing their ability to correct it. You know, and that's a problem I think that we have a lot in America, maybe worldwide, is we are giving people external reasons for their their problems, you know, pro- we're making it so people are having all these issues, you know, especially like mental health and all this. And we're we're not cor- we're not giving them the ability and the power to correct it. And once you take away hope and self-control from people, they die. And this is, those studies are fascinating, too. You want to read some fascinating studies, read studies on if you take away people's ability to have self. Um, God, what's the word? Self- self-control, self- self-agency. Yeah. Uh, to be able to do things that, for themselves, they will die. They would just die. They've done it with rats. You take rats, the, the ability for them to control their environment and their, their movements and stuff, they will literally just die. Humans need to feel empowered. I hate using that word. They feel they have to feel like there's hope. And you put CTE in somebody's head, either literally or figuratively, you take away that hope, chances are they're going to kill themselves. Uh, 30.6% of men will report an episode of depression in their lifetimes. And men 85 and older have the highest rate of suicide among all men. I have no idea. Yeah, well, you know, when you're when you're a man and you get old and you can't do the stuff you used to be able to do, it's like, time to get out of here. Uh, and plus all your friends have died and stuff. Uh, depressive disorders are the second leading cause of living with disability in the United States and Canada. And that's crazy. Disability. Depressive disorders is the second leading cause of living with disability in the United States and Canada. From 1999 to 2016, suicides in the United States increased by nearly 30%. A large portion of those suicides was not due to mental illness, but because of abuse of drugs like opioids. And it was mainly among the male population. In 2016, nearly as many people died from opioid overdoses as from suicide. So there's a lot of opioids going on out there. Well, and a lot of that could be self-medication. Yeah, yeah. My theory. A retired NFL player is both uh, retired and active, actually. Use prescription opioids for pain at three times the rate of the general population. And you know these guys down these things like crazy. Yeah, imagine what kind of tolerance you build up mm-hmm. when you take it during the season. Right, and opioid use is known to cause deposits of tau in the brain. So, yeah, there's a link there. Now, do you think it's possible that some of the players who've killed themselves over the years did so because of opioid abuse and not CTE? Or that some of the guys found to have CTE might have had all that towel in their brains, not because of hits to the head, but because they took two excessive quantities of, I don't know, oxycodone. I mean, blaming football and CTE for impulsive, violent, or suicidal acts while tempting, it's not scientific at all. There's no link, no link whatsoever to CTE, to depression, to suicide. Uh, matter of fact, Grant Iverson, doctor at a, the sports concussion program at Mass General Hospital for Children, he wrote a paper published in 2016 that found NFL players were a lot at a lot lower risk than the general population. This blew me away. I knew this, but I didn't know the numbers. I mean, this is by a lot. 
he found that only 26 suicides out of 2,672 men who have played in the NFL since its inception. I think 26,000. What did I say? 2,000? Oh, yeah. 26 suicides out of (laughs) 26,702 NFL players since its inception. Now, that that number seems low to me. It might be a little higher because, I mean, we know of... Yeah, I mean, it might have ballooned in the last 10 years. That would not surprise me. Right. And we're going to get to the reason why that might be the reason or why that might be happening. I mean, uh, in that paper, he writes, quote, conceptualizing suicide as being the result of small focal epicenters of Tao are progressive degenerative Taopathy. Taopathy is currently scientifically premature, overly simplistic and potentially fatalistic. Now, let's touch on that a little bit. Fatalistic. What does he mean by that? Well, like you said, if you think you've got CTE, why not kill yourself? If you're looking at a life of neurodegenerative failure, you know, you're not being able to eat and talk and remember stuff and like that, you can, why not off yourself? We might be seeing an increase of suicides because of fear of CTE. As a matter of fact, we know of a fact that one did happen. Todd Ewan, retired NHL player, who became convinced that his mood swings and suicidal thoughts were due to CTE, took his own life in 2015, killed himself. I mean, the irony of that is that on examination, it was found that he did not have a single telltale tau protein in his brain. He did not have CTE. Now, Todd's widow wanted his brain tested to see if he had CTE when he died. So she sent it to the Canadian... Sports Concussion Project to a researcher there. And this researcher was extremely thorough. She did not see the signs of CTE in the brain. So her common practice was to send samples to three other labs to independently confirm her findings. Which is what most scientists do. Exactly. In this field. And there are so few research centers like that. So... BU got a hold of one of them. So I don't know if she sent it to BU or the widow wasn't satisfied with the preliminary results and then went back to BU later. At the time of publication of Brainwashed, there was no input from BU on this case. So Merle Hodge actually put something in the book that said you should look it up to see if maybe BU has come out with it because he would bet that BU finds that there was CTE. So I did a quick Google search, and sure enough, BU has diagnosed him with CTE. What did it say? Did it say a stage, or did it just say... Stage 2. Stage 2 CTE. How in the world could he have stage 2 CTE and nobody else picked up on that? Boston University is the only one that could pick up on that. Yeah, okay. There's some. And Wikipedia does say that his wife asked, requested BU to look at the brain. Well, if you want a CTE diagnosis, go to B Boston University. Exactly. But anyhow, Todd, you, you know, he thought that, you know, he had CTE and it just scared the mess out of him, so he killed himself. I mean, that's an irony right there, that the only aspect of CTE known to cause suicide is the actual fear of it. Uh, Larry Johnson, the ex-running back and two-time pro bowler for the Kansas City Chiefs, he's been arrested six times, five of them for assault charges against women. He was waived by the Chiefs in 2009 after he was suspended for conduct detrimental to the club, whatever that means. Uh, ESPN did an article on him with the title. Here's the title. Former NFL running back Larry Johnson believes he is living with CTE. That's the title. Now, remember, folks, you can't diagnose CTE while you're alive. The only way you can do that is when you're dead. 
Uh, Fox News, AB News, Sports Illustrated, Washington Post, CBS Sports, Reuters, USA Today, Bleacher Report, just about every news organization and sports outlet has carried his story where he claims the troubles in his life are due to CTE. Remember, can only be diagnosed after death. He's blaming everything on CTE without any evidence whatsoever, and the media is helping him carry that water. Well, it's like Kellen Winslow when he got into all his legal troubles. That's what everyone was blaming. Yeah, he yeah. was. I don't know that he was, but in a lot of comments on some of the Bucks forums, that's immediately what people jump to. Yeah the the thought of getting CTE is scaring the mess out of players, and it's also giving them uh, basically carte blanche to act any way they want to act and blame it on CTE. Uh, in October 2013, article in Deadspin, Matthew McCarthy, a physician at New York Presbyterian Hospital, wrote about encountering a former NFL player in the psychiatric ward of a New York hospital who told him that he was paralyzed by the fear that he was, quote, walking around with a death sentence over his head because of CTE. Now, this bad media stuff is getting in players' heads. Michigan's Jack Miller, UConn's Casey Cochran, Eugene Monroe of the Ravens, Chris Borland of the 49ers, they've all quit playing football for the specific reason of fear of CTE. In a Guardian article, Monroe said he plans to consult with a doctor about his health, but admits he has concerns for his future. He says, quote, The last 18 years have been full of traumatic injuries to both my head and my body. I'm not complaining, just stating a fact. Has the damage to my brain already been done? Do I have CTE? I hope I don't, but over 90% of the brains of former NFL players that have been examined show signs of the disease. I am terrified, end quote. He's using that bad science about 90% of the brains of former NFL players at CTE. And it's scary. I mean, it's caused the guy to quit playing football, and now he's living in fear. Ed Cunningham, who served as a color analyst for ABC and ESPN College Football for 20 years, resigned in 2017 because he could no longer support a sport which causes CTE. It's craziness. It's craziness. Matter of fact, the guy, Peter Cummings, who helped Merrill Hodge write uh, Brainwashed, he was a believer that CTE was horrible for football players. He wouldn't let his kids play play football until he did the research. And when he read up on it, that's when he got kind of miffed. He was like, wow. And he knows what he's looking at when he reads these studies and... Yeah. Because he's a neuropathologist himself. Right. And so we're scaring parents from enrolling their kids into football. We're scaring players. We're scaring every, anybody. Everybody involved in the in NFL is just, you know, it's fear central. You know, CTE is going to make everybody a walking zombie is how they make it out to be. Now, in the time period between 2008 to 2013, nearly 3 million fewer children have played basketball, soccer, track and field, baseball, softball, and football. Less than one in three children between the ages of 6 to 12 participated in a high-calorie burning sport or fitness activity three times a week. This is according to the Sports and Fitness Industry Association. Let's think about that for a second. One in three children between the ages of 6 to 12 participated. Less than one in three. So less than 30% of kids out there are getting any physical activity with sports. Childhood obesity is an epidemic in America. There's no doubt about that. Obesity in general is an epidemic. The last thing we need to do is scare our kids away from playing sports, that's for sure. And obesity is more deadly than concussions by far. You know, so we're scaring people with this CTE stuff, keeping them out of playing sports, and they're getting fat, which is more deadly than getting 
Concussions or CTE. I love one of Merle Hodges anecdotes in the book was that he was coaching youth football and one of his players missed because he had fallen on the playground and broken his wrist and then someone else had fallen you know doing something else playing tag I'll just say and so he was out for a few weeks so it was like he joked to his players okay you guys don't go to recess anymore because I need you to play football. <laughs> well, that's how we feel about JPP. It's like <laughs> JPP should be putting bubble wrap during the off season. You know, the guys always going out there getting hurt. But it's just it just goes to show there's danger everywhere. Danger everywhere. But we're living in this mentality in the Western civilization that we've got to protect everybody from everything. You know, safety is more important than anything. And that's just ridiculous. I mean, I think the vast majority of America's mental health problems and physical health problems, obesity in particular, is due to the lack of involvement in sports and activities. Oh, absolutely. The benefits of sports are astronomical. I mean, not only do you get the physical activity, you get better mental mental acuity, uh, team building exercises. I mean, it's great for learning how to work with people. Uh, Moral character builds up that you learn how to lose. I mean, most of sports is losing. You got to learn how to lose to be a good winner. It's just... Uh, and you feel good when you work out. Yeah. So, you know, this CTE scare is just going everywhere and it's being promulgated by the NF- by the media. Now, the NFL has done a tremendous job and the com- medical community itself has done a tremendous job with concussions. Absolutely tremendous. I mean, I didn't know all the research that's been done with this and all the work that the NFL has done. I mean, we all know about uh, the N- the helmet rules. We know about the, the rules on the field, about, you know, hitting players in the head and all that good stuff. Uh, but they've done all kinds of stuff. You know, they got the medical doctors on the sidelines. They uh, keep players off the field from concussions now when you get them, which we didn't know before that concussions, you need to rehab from a concussion. Oh, this was a fascinating part oh, of Brainwash. Oh, that was fascinating, yeah. That there are six different types of concussions, and they all each require different treatment. But again, there is no evidence whatsoever, none zip nada, that football causes CTE, or even that concussions cause CTE. Or that CTE is a progressive degenerative brain disease, as everybody likes to say. This, there's, no, there's no science behind that, guys. None. So not only do we know that CTE is not proven to be caused by concussions, it's definitely not the leading factor. I mean, there's all kinds of things that contribute to tau proteins in the brain, such as opioid use, uh, obesity, stress, drinking, all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of stuff that causes. Some of the most damning Evidence to me that the CTE stuff is basically a scam is, and, and, and this is what kind of freaked me out when it first started happening, is, is look at most announcers. I mean, Chris Collinsworth, Tony Romo, Troy Aikman, uh, Dan Fouts. There's a ton of ex-NFL players that are on TV. That are thriving. That are thriving. And they all played back before CTE was a thing. Did I say Tony Romo? He wasn't one. Uh and the league was much more physical back then. And they, they're all fine. And not only are they fine, they're doing jobs that the average person would find very, very difficult to do. I mean, sitting there and talking for three and a half hours, four hours is really hard to do. And keeping track of people's names and you know, all this stuff, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy job. But the fact that retired NFL players as a group are healthier and live longer than the general population, to me, is a damning indictment of the current theory on CTE. Right. I have a few stats to back that up. Let me just run them off real quick. There was a 1994 study of 3,439 players who played 
between 1959 and 1988, and the players that they looked at had played for at least five seasons. So there was a good threshold there. They, the NFL players were 42% less likely to develop cancer, 20% less likely to die of respiratory disease, had a 46% lower overall mortality rate than the general male population. A 2009 study found former football players were no more likely to suffer from symptoms of depression than the general population. Actually, I thought it was the exact opposite. I thought they were happier. Study I read. Well, maybe. A 2009 study also found 29% of retired NFL players over the age of 50 reported bouts of anger and losing control compared to 47% of the male population. So In the general less, public, yeah. yeah, so less likely. Well, that's by almost half. Right. And they were less likely to be investigated for homicide than the general population. So they're doing okay. Yeah, well, you probably missed this, too. And... Uh, it's kind of indicative of the conversation we should be having, but we're not. Uh, there was a study that came out in 2018 that looked at uh, 181 orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons who were also the chairs of their departments. So we're not talking about just accomplished physicians. We're talking about seriously accomplished physicians. And they looked at how many of them played contact sports in high school or college. <laughs> then they compared the rate of play with the general population. They found that orthopedic and neurosurgery chairs were more likely than the general population to have played contact sports in high school and a lot more likely than to have played in college. And they were also more likely to have suffered at least one concussion in their lifetime. Their conclusion, this is directly straight from the report, quote, the high prevalence of youth contact sports play and concussion among surgical specialty chairs affirms that individuals and careers requiring high motor and cognitive function frequently play contact sports, end quote. So it just doesn't make any sense. The whole scare behind CTE, what's going on, why the media keeps bashing, it's cramming it down our throats. Uh, what, what's the reason for it? Why is it happening? I mean, there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that it causes depression, that it causes suicide, that it's that CTE is caused by repeated blows to the head. As a matter of fact, here's a strange thing. The human body is very weird. It's what's called anti-fragile. If you ever read any Nassim Taleb, you know what I'm talking about. It gets stronger the more you use it. The more pressure you put on it, the stronger it gets. It's not fragile. It's anti-fragile. It doesn't break under pressure. It gets stronger under pressure. That's the way the human body is. All the human body is that designed that way. Our bones, if we don't use them, go out into space. When they come back, their bones are almost osteoporosis because they can't use their bones in space. There's no impact. The more you use your bones, the stronger they get. The more you use your muscles, the stronger they get. That's the way our whole body is. So why wouldn't our brain be the same way? You know, the more impacts it takes, the stronger it gets against impacts for sure. I mean, look, if you've ever had the unfortunate uh, experience to fight a amateur or professional boxer, you will know it's like getting hit with a, a sledgehammer. Their arms are not getting more fragile the more they punch. Their bones are getting more solid. Their, their muscles are getting more strong. And they become better boxers by hitting stuff. You know, who's to say that you know, getting impacts to the head, whether they be concussive or subconcussive, doesn't make you more resilient to getting impacts to the head. We don't know. We're just assuming that getting impacts to the head 
causes neurologically degenerative diseases. There's no evidence at all to show this. Matter of fact, there's been all kinds of things where people have had pipes shot through their head that, you know, have not had any problems. We don't know a whole lot about the brain, you know. And like you said earlier, we're not we're not calling for women's sports, especially women's soccer, to be looked at and regulated the same way we are at the NFL. Why is that? Matter of fact, we're holding NFL soccer, women's NFL soccer. We're holding women's soccer up on a pedestal. You know, they win the Olympics. Everybody is like, yeah, it's the best thing in the world. You didn't hear a single article about them talking about how dangerous it is for these women to be playing soccer. You know, how they're probably going to get CTE and start killing people. So why is that? What is the reason? You got any You got any uh, theories? I do. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say them. You don't want to say I'll them? I'll sound like a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I think there's a number of different reasons. I'll tell you what, you say some of your reasons. I would say the biggest thing is toxic masculinity. That's a big one. I do believe that's a big one. There is a... There has been a movement for a long time to get rid of any type of masculine characteristics. Aggression. Yes, in in Western society, anyhow. Uh, And I think the NFL, being the leading sport. Contact sport. Contact sport Mm -hmm. is a prime target for that mentality. You know, they just think that violence. I, I actually know this. I have a relative who is like that. And she firmly believes that violence in sports is a bad, bad thing, and she wants to get rid of all of it. Basically, all sports in general. She thinks it's stupid. So, Well, and they're coming after the NHL, too. Not quite to the degree that they are the NFL, but God, I remember it's when they, in their radar. When they came after the boxing, I think it was in the 80s, they just told them to F off. It was the boxing head. They didn't have no time for that mess. They're like, yeah, whatever. Shut up. Get out of our face. Um, I think another problem is... Uh, the people think the NFL is big tobacco. Yeah. You know, we'd love to have this David and Goliath type thing. And, you know, big tobacco was proven to have done some pretty bad things. And so now everybody's looking for the next big tobacco and they see the NFL as big tobacco. Yeah, they're a corporate boogeyman. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the media portrays corporations and business in America as the boogeyman anyhow. You- Which is funny because the media is a corporate I know. Man. I, know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, oh my gosh! Yeah, most of the newspapers are owned by these same five companies. Yeah, or these mega rich people. And then there's also uh, the white savior complex. You know, you've got the vast majority of the NFL. I'm not sure what the the numbers are, but I think it's around 60, 70 percent. Might even be a little bit higher of NFL players are African American. And so you've got a lot of people that feel like they have to constantly protect the African American community. You know, they got to not just protect them, but, you know, be their saviors. And so they feel like a part of them is, you know, they're helping them out here. But you're, what you're going to end up doing is taking all these thousands of NFL players who have become multimillionaires through the NFL and sports and take that opportunity away from them, which is usually what happens when you have these white savior complexes. You end up hurting more than you had up helping. But then there's also the money scam. Can't leave that out. Uh, the NFL used to fund Boston University's CTE Center, but they did pull their funding from there. But sources like the National Institute for Health are pumping millions in grant money to Boston University. So uh, we know what that usually ends up. You know, it's hard to to say there's not a problem if you're getting paid to say there's a problem. Uh, the the NIH 
awarded $30 billion per year in grants to individuals at universities, medical schools, and other research institutions. Now, when a university gets a grant, about 60% of that money goes to the university development office. That's the, the school's fundraising arm. Uh, the leftovers go to research. So you're looking at about 40% of grants go to research. Uh, that makes a, grants a huge cash cow for universities. And uh, one of the ways to get these grants is to promote your facility. And your facility is publishing research papers and getting in the news. When they apply for grants, they're more likely to get that money. Basically, grants turn private in universities like Boston University into for-profit machines, which that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the incentives do get distorted. The more the Boston University CTE Center can keep its work in the news and paint CTE as a scourge on the planet, is that how you say it, scourge? <laughs> uh, the more status the center will get and the more money Boston University will bring in. I mean, they're pretty blatant about it, too. In 2016, Boston University's annual report is essentially a plea for money and features an entire spread with Dr. McKee, who is the leading researcher at the uh, the CTE Center at Boston University, and Robert Stern. They were both driving home the same grim story about suffering football players in order to increase the school's endowment. And uh, as Merrill Hodge says in his book, Fear is Winning. And it's easy to see why the sensationalist media coverage that's brainwashed half the country into believing the science behind CTE is sound, has parents feeling like they're putting their children in danger because they want to let their sons play tackle football instead of sitting on the couch playing Minecraft. That has a real human cost because the segment of the population that's seen the most precipitous drop-off in team sports from 46.9% of kids in 2012 to just 34.6% in 2016 is the segment where the household income is less than $25,000 a year. So basically, the lower-income children are not getting involved in sports because of fear of CTE. So I think there's a bunch of reasons why CTE has become the narrative with the NFL, head injuries and concussions. Now, concussions, you want to read some fascinating stuff. Like Molly said, they, they found out a lot about concussions, and there's six different types, and they've got treatments for each one of them, and they're very good at treating them. We used to think you get a concussion, you go into a room, a dark room, and you lay down. They found out it's like the worst possible thing you can do. In order to get a concussion and get those tau proteins out of your head from building up, you have to exercise the brain. You have to do things. You have to actively use your brain. And depending on what type of concussion you have, they'll describe certain therapies for you. But they all involve using your brain. And it, it, uh, there's a one that involves the vestibular system where, you know, it controls your balance and all that good stuff. And you would think if you get a concussion that affects that, that the best thing to do would be to just kind of chill out and relax. And, you know, that. But no, what they get you to do is to try to balance yourself on one foot and all this. And they get you to practice and practice and practice it. And it's basically just like when you work out a muscle, you're getting the lactic acids out of your muscle. You're flushing the system out and getting those proteins out of your brain. It's basically physical therapy for your brain. It's physical therapy for your brain. So, you know, the NFL's done a great job with implementing that, you know, the concussion protocols into the system. But we're not hearing about the good stuff. All we hear is the bad stuff. And the bad stuff is bad science. And it's being done because we love to be scared. We love to have savior complexes. It's what sells. It's what sells. You got it this, gets the clicks. The click of babies. Uh, we've got people that want to get rid of masculinity and especially what they call toxic masculinity. And football is right up there at the top of that list. And then we've got the whole big tobacco NFL similarities. You know, people think they're doing a good thing by knocking the NFL down. 
But you're not. So we thoroughly enjoyed Brainwash, the book by Merrill Hodge and Peter Cummings. So it Hi- highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. You can get it on Amazon. The problem with questioning the current narrative about CTE is that you will be accused of being a denier, a CTE denier, a science denier. And that's not the case. We're not saying concussions don't cause problems. We're not saying... CTE doesn't exist. But yeah, we're not saying that head trauma is good for you. <laughs> we're not even saying that uh, you know the new rules in the NFL that try to reduce head traumas are a bad thing. But it it's a serious issue that requires very thoughtful investigation, and the fear mongering doesn't help. Yes, this should be based on science, not emotion. Facts, exactly. Facts, facts. So if you get a chance, pick up brainwashed, brainwashed. 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 <laughs> Brainwashed. Brainwashed. Or and you can read Dr. Cummings' article on Yahoo. It seems Peter Cummings. You can Google it. Yeah, it's a really I'm, good article. I'm probably going to put a uh, reference on the website BuccaneersObserver.com listing a lot of the articles we used in reference here. Uh, I'll put the list of investigative journalists who I feel have done a very good job at breaking this stuff down. And we'll put lists to the some of the studies we used. But the whole thing of it is, is that, look, it's a great thing that the NFL is doing what they're doing. I think they're, they're doing a fantastic job. And it's great that CTE is being brought to the forefront. And there's the a lot of people looking into it. There are a lot of researchers that are investigating the whole issue. It's not just Boston University. There's science around the world right, but where they've investigating well, this problem. Boston University is controlling the narrative because... That's where every, that's where the media, when they want to get a quote or get some information, they always go to Boston University. So they get to control the narrative, and they're getting all the grant dollars, too. Another interesting tidbit about them controlling the narrative is that in the peer review process, it's very political, and you can request that certain people peer review your research and... So Boston University is involved in the peer review process. So a lot of people, especially Boston University scientists, will have other Boston University scientists peer review their stuff. <laughs> and some people are worried about publishing research that contradicts the narrative because it could negatively impact them professionally. Right. And, and science should not be that way no, at all. It shouldn't be political. No, you should have as much dissent as possible. You want as many different theories and research and studies out there as, as you can get. But we're not getting that. Well, we're not getting the truth about it. I mean, we're we're getting a lot of good medical work, but it's not getting out to the public. So the CTE scare, uh, we hope you learned something from this. This was a long podcast. We've been wanting to do it for a long time. We actually had a combined 12 pages of notes. Uh, this has been, I've been researching this since, I would say, 2014, I've been listening to it from Ralph <laughs> since about 2014. <laughs> well, 2014 is when I first uh, found my first notes that I took on it. But I think I, I had been following it for years. And yeah. About 2014, I went, all right, enough of this. I'm going to start finding out what I can find out about it. Stop depending on other people to tell me what to know. So, you know, the, the, take everything with a grain of salt, especially if it comes from uh, BTU or BU, from their department. Um you know, there is some good science out there, but there's also a lot of really bad science. And it seems like the bad science is what's being pushed. Uh, be careful with what you consume from the media, as usual. And that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us. If you want to follow us on Twitter, check us out 
at Bucks underscore Observer. That's our Twitter handle. We also have a YouTube page. Just search for Buccaneers Observer. Uh, we have a website, BuccaneersObserver.com. If you want to get in touch with Molly, you can uh, send her email, MollyBay at BuccaneersObserver.com. If you want to uh, send me an email, it's Ralph at BuccaneersObserver.com. And that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us. Till next time. Go Bucks. <laughs>